Welcome back to part two of our interview with Graham Singh. I'm joined today by my co-host, Brian Eggert from Mission Canada. And today we're talking with Brian uh, and Graham about sacred spaces in the profane city. What exactly is a sacred space? Well, keep on listening and you're gonna find out. That's great. Graham, I love that. Pews out and lights in. It kind of, that, that has a ring to it. Um, so, so let's talk about what happened in this, in this journey, uh, where the Trinity, Trinity Centers was born, and a little bit of what the Trinity, the Trinity Centers work, the foundation does. And maybe we can just go there for a few moments, and just help our audience understand um, kind of where, how this, how did this thing get birthed? And and, and where has it gone in, 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 in its mandate? Well, Brian, I really give thanks to God for, for you and your part in that journey, because, you know, that Church Planning Canada board is one of the places where I began and had a safe place to sound this question out, right? Of basically asking, what the hell are we going to do with all these old church buildings? Like, who, who has a plan? <laughs> and when I realized around that table, there was no, there was, there was, there was hope. And there was certainly interest, but there wasn't yet a plan. Then I went around and I saw a lot of bishops around Canada. I would travel. I would get on a flight. I can't even imagine the number of flights that I took all around Canada. I would go around and see these bishops. And I'd say, "What have you got a plan, Bishop? You know, I just spoke to a bishop the other day. He has 12 uninsurable buildings. Okay. Buildings that are in such, back to your point, Kevin, they're in such poor condition right, where there's maybe a fuel oil tank underneath in the basement, the wiring's out of code, there's no fire system, there, you know, these, these are the kind of issues that make a building uninsurable, certainly masonry problems, cracks in the foundation, that kind of stuff. And I realized the bishops don't have a plan. And I'm talking across Anglican, United, Catholic, Presbyterian, bishops or equivalent. And then I, then I went to the different consultants and architects and engineers and people who've been trying to help and I heard their tears, you know, and they said, there's nothing, there's no instrument here to do this. And finally, I went to two professional services firms. I went to PricewaterhouseCoopers and I went to Miller Thompson, the law firm. I said, what are you doing? Can you help me out with this? And I even called CRA, actually, I was telling you that story, Brian, the other day. I called the Canada Revenue Agency. I said, how many churches have closed? You guys are running all these charitable registrations. And would you like to talk to me about what we're going to do about it? And I thought, there's no way CRA is going to call me back. But I thought, I'm going to take the time and write them a letter. And they wrote me back. And we had a meeting with the Charities Directorate of uh, Canada Revenue Agency. And they said, "This we think something should be done, Graham. We like the sound of your idea. If you've got these professional services people behind you, you'll, you'll get it right. And we, we came together and we established a new charity. And the purpose was... Uh, to help other registered charities become more efficient and effective through the provision of less than market rate spaces. Okay, it doesn't sound, it doesn't preach exactly that, that line, does it? But it, it talks charitable language. And what it means is we have all these charities who own this property. They're not efficient or effective because of the way they're dealing with their properties. So that, uh, and then the second objective of the charity is to establish a fund and apply all parts of the capital or interest to the above objective. And the third is my favorite is to undertake any activities ancillary to the above. So those are our three charitable objectives. And, uh, and all of a sudden, we've had people from around Canada who've come around that table as our, our council of advisors. We had one guy, I'll tell you this story, uh, David Tang, who he was not our team originally. 
a lawyer at Miller Thompson, he said, I demand to be on this team because I've been praying my entire Christian life about how the concept of Jubilee should apply when, when this transition happens with Canada's church properties. He had been praying as a very specialized lawyer and municipal land, municipal land tax specialist, right? About how Jubilee, our concept of Jubilee, the same one in the Old Testament should apply. So that's the kind of skill, we talk about Bezaliel, those are the kind of skilled people we have around the foundation, about 50 people of that kind. And what we do is uh, we reach out to churches that have big old buildings. Often, uh, if I typify this, and I hope nobody's, um, I'll, I'll explain what I mean so that there's no possibility of offense. It's often, you know, six or seven great grandmothers around that church board. Okay. The husband's died a long time ago. And often they're looking around at themselves thinking we are not supposed to be the ones in charge here. Our children should be here running this church, our grandchildren, but our, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, none of them have wanted anything to do with this big old building. And we're the ones left holding this. What are we going to do? So we approach churches of that kind and we say, we can help with a plan. Uh, we have a feasibility study process called the art of the possible, where we go through, um, the existing condition of the building, the potential uses. We meet with other charities and church plants and uh, the municipality always, heritage groups. So we, we charge the church money to do that research. We have consultants who then do that stakeholder research. And we come up with a document that's called the art of the possible. And in that document, there's a dream for what that building could do in the future. And some of these guys, like these are like thousand seater buildings in the middle of, you know, opposite metro stations and on the corner of Maine and Oxford in the town of wherever you know we're working all across Canada so that's what the foundation does and our next work on this is we're working with a number of granting foundations in Canada and wealthy families who are trying to do what's called impact investing and that goes back to your initial uh, readout Kevin of some of the things that um, this means and what we're working on is uh, would look to somebody who knows the investment world it would look like an uh, an investment fund, and it looks something like what people call an impact investment fund, and it looks something like a real estate investment fund. It's halfway between those. It's a hybrid model that we're working on, again, with our lawyers. And what that would do is, so ima imagine this, okay? And th this is typical. Uh, Brian and I, you know, we, we had this all the time in Church Planning Canada, and I'm still on the, so wonderfully, Jeff Christofferson, who's taken Church Planning Canada to just a whole nother level in such an amazing way. Uh, it was so humbling when Jeff asked me to, uh, and, and then the whole board asked me to stay on Church Planning Canada. So I, I'm just, it's such a privilege to, to be, you know, to be still in that, um, that place of uh, influence, I guess. But we often have church planters reach out saying, hey, I got this vision for a church plant. I see this old United Church in my, in my city. How do I get in there? <laughs> like, you know, uh, and well, the answer is you probably can't buy it yourself. You could, I mean, you could call your denomination and see if they want to give you money to just buy the building. Um, you don't have too many of those things happening. Uh, but what if you could get together with a couple of local charities and do a partnership with that church and say, could we partner? Like we actually partner, not just shake hands and let's, you know, run a few prayer meetings together, but we actually legally partner, create a new holding entity and have that entity borrow money from the kind of investors that are interested in doing that kind of thing. Sounds simple. It's pretty complicated. We've actually gotten wiped out on one of those projects, um, but we're still dreaming the dream and building that model. And uh, that church often, you know, will need four or $5 million of renovation. 
And you look at that and think, oh, my Lord, that's, that's a lot of money. We could think of how many churches we could plant directly. Well, if you go back to St. Jack's kind of story, you think, well, three churches with five services and, you know, multiple charities and that kind of missional impact, actually, that's actually very good use of a central space like that. It's actually money well invested and it's not spent, it's invested into the value of the property. So the partners hold that value within their uh, within their charities. So Trinity Centers Foundation is doing this kind of activity and where we're going next is the building of that fund that I just described so that we can see more of those partnerships uh, happen. Yeah, so the themes really are around three things as I've been doing some research again. It's around assemble, fund, and operate. Those are the three kind of key that's right. Components, right? So just talk just quickly about assemble, fund, operate as it deals with the uh, with the Trinity's foundation. Yeah, so assemble it. I mean, you heard it in just the description I gave, but let's let's pull it back out so people can hear it exactly, Brian, as you're saying in those areas. Assemble is let's find the building. Let's now find some other compatible charities or mission organizations, churches that want to partner around there. Um, and let's begin to look at the kind of funders who are interested in coming up with some of that capital. So we're, we're bringing that team together. Often that involves the municipality, where the municipality will say, boy, we'd love to see this or that kind of thing happen there. Funding is creating, um, let's make it simple. It generally looks like a loan or a mortgage to that project, right? And we can call it equity or quasi-equity. There's a whole bunch of different things like that. Uh, by the way, a uh, little disclaimer, we're not supposed to talk about securities in detail, uh, except through a licensed securities broker. So what I'm talking about now, we do have those people on our team, but into the details of the financing, I'm not supposed to talk too much about them in the detail. But I'll tell you in concept, okay, with that disclaimer having been made, the, there are ways of securing that lending against the property in a way that the partners participate in it. And, and as I said, you know, this is quite new. So the financing looks like a loan or a mortgage. And then the operations, instead of it looking like, here's what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like a church that says, we own this building. We bought it in the first place. It's ours. We're the owner. And we're the, we're the wealthy ones. And you little church plant, or well, <laughs> which is awkward when the church has like six people on a Sunday and the church plant has like 200 people on a Sunday. It's a bit awkward, right? Um, and, and when of those 200 people, like a third of them are former members of that denomination's church. And the poor church planter is like, I, I got more of your people in my church plant kind of thing, but you're still telling me you own this place. Got it, right? So the operations don't look like the this wealthy church that kind of owns it, rents out to the little people, right? But rather, everybody comes together. Maybe it's like this. It's not like the wealthy uncle who's the, false, the falsely wealthy uncle and he's always buying dinner for everybody, but you, you later find out he's broke. It's more like four siblings in a family who don't own a family cottage. They say, hey, should we rent a family cottage? Let's go away for a week together with our four families. And we'll all split the costs four ways, right? Because we're, we're siblings. That's the kind of operating model that we're looking for. So that's assemble, that's fund, that's operate. And within that, I mean, I just gave you some summaries. It's as diverse as we can imagine, but there are some things that we want to avoid of the old ways. And I would say sometimes a church will buy a building and they begin repeating all the same patterns that we know are what stopped that church, you know, uh, working that way. And of course, there are churches that are independent, evangelical from other non-mainline denominations who will hear what we're talking about here. And they'll think, 
man, we put theater style seats in our main sanctuary. We put a raked floor, right? In our main sanctuary, we got, we've got space for a thousand people in that space, but it can only really be used as a movie theater or as our church on Sunday, did we do the right thing? And I look back at that Bazalio, those skilled architects, and I go to those, ar- like we, we have those debates with those architects and say, you guys did the wrong thing. You gave them what they wanted, not what they needed. You should have pushed them and talked about this participative versus instructional. If you see what I'm saying, y- you get a church that's an independent evangelical church that's very critical of, let's say it's local Catholic church, right? For instance, I mean, they wouldn't maybe not say it out loud, but... And then they went and built a whole brand new church in the suburbs with exactly the same architectural problems. Right. <laughs> it's just an ugly building instead of a beautiful building. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, there's an example. Are there more denominations, are there some groups that are more open to this kind of flexibility? If you want to call it, it's, it's, it's creating flexible space, really, is what it is, right? Yeah. Uh, do you find more openness in some camps than others? Yes. Um, so let, let's just talk about the mainline. This is actually, you know what, Brian, I wonder if we broaden it out to just, there's some people who are listening here who really don't know what it's like inside Anglican, United, Catholic, and Presbyterian churches. Let's just deal with those ones. Maybe Lutheran, we can tack on there as well, because maybe they come from, uh, Pentecostal assemblies or assemblies of God or, uh, or an independent church or, uh, uh whatever. Um, the United Church, there are some people in the United Church who see themselves as they one of their greatest accomplishments is founding the NDP party, right? That's a big, the United Church of Canada almost single-handedly has founded the NDP and they are very much behind it. They are a social movement. So when somebody says United Church has a lot of social gospel, I think, well, yeah, and they've done some amazing things out of it, but you would be surprised if you go and look on the United Church of Canada's website, how many things they've done in the past, just even two or three years to underline the name of Jesus in the United Church of Canada. So don't, don't mistake the United Church of Canada. They've also done the best in Canada at partnering with Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation to seriously deal with the issue of affordable housing. So the United Church of Canada puts its money where its mouth is. And they do have some, there are times where they will be quite aggressive against more conservative churches. And there, there are reasons why they will tell you why. And I would recommend to any church leader who's not sat down with your local United Church leadership team or pastors, go and meet them you will be impressed and you will find them more Christocentric than you thought, okay? In the Anglican church, we have some some new leaders coming up, some amazing things going up, but I would say a place to look is the bishops. We're starting to get some new bishops who are really starting to push the edges on this. Some of them, I'll give you one example, you know, I know one bishop in their diocese, they've closed over 25 churches in the past 10 or 15 years. And that bishop, um, I'll, I'll point him out, Bishop Todd, uh, he was the Bishop of Huron, which is from Kitchener to uh, Sarnia, actually right over to you, Kevin. Uh, it covers Windsor as well. Uh, he's dreaming a whole new dream. And actually, we are with the Trinity Centers Foundation. Instead of them hiring a head of property strategy, they've actually hired the Trinity Centers Foundation. So we work in partnership with that diocese. And they're coming up with some new things. But they're, you know, what you've got is leadership that's now beginning. To, to build that change. And they're willing to do things. So Brian, like you talked, you know, getting those pews out, um, seriously looking at those. The Presbyterian Church in Canada is, uh, they're, they're heartbroken. They are also now just beginning to enter the very challenging debate around human sexuality. 
And uh, we don't have time to go into that in full, but I think one thing we could notice is that if your denomination at a national level decides to really tackle that question, by the way, the Anglican Church of Canada tackled that question 15 years ago and basically decided on quite a liberal position. Um, United Church of Canada is much longer, much, much longer ago that they took a more liberal position. Um, not even, anyways, that's, uh, be that as it may. The Presbyterian Church in Canada is just now starting that and it's, it's taking up a lot of their energy. And as a result, what you find at a local level is people just leave, that they leave the churches. They think, you know what? I'd rather sit that theater style seating with the rake floor in the thousand seater auditorium out in the suburbs where the lights are off and you can park your car. The people from the Presbyterian church, the refugees from there, they go to that church. Okay. They, they, and you know, the kind of churches I'm talking, and they sit in the back. And when you ask them to join a group, they'll say, no, <laughs> no, thanks. I need a break. Right. And they'll sit in the back rows of those churches and, and wait. And then the Catholic church, um, there's two things going on. One is, uh, there's a, there's a deep numbness with the amount of harm that's been caused amongst congregants and priests and bishops. There's a deep numbness. I mean, it is a lot of harm has been caused and we still feel like has the final list of all the things that have been done, has, it, has that even come out or is there still more to hear? And that's made it very difficult to grow. On the other hand, I have seen God birthing vision in the hearts of young Catholic leaders, priests and, and ordained and, and what they call lay people. I hate that definition, but I hate that distinction, by the way. I never use the difference between ordained lay people. Um, and I'm happy to argue why. But uh, there are signs of hope. But boy, guys, it's a heavy, it's a heavy deal in the Catholic Church right now. You know, they are really struggling with a lot of those things. So there's a bit of a whistle-stop tour through, but I would say overall, Brian. There's a humility in the mainline churches post-COVID and, and a desperation, let's be honest, that's sinking in. And I think that presents an incredible opportunity for local missional John 17 type partnership. Uh, and whatever the openness was before, it's more now than it was before. I think it's interesting when we think uh, coming back to, you know, the, the idea of sacred space and and really what i hear happening with trinity centers foundation is that you're um you're reopening sacred space and and when we say uh that the space is sacred we mean that it's it's a place that is um commissioned or given to uh the the work of god's kingdom and uh, and the worship of God, you know, um, I, I hope someday uh, that uh, I can get you down to Windsor uh, because uh, my, my journey uh, in church planting here with New Song Church was 25 years ago. Uh, we bought a profane space. Uh, we bought an old bar and uh, turned it into our gathering place and turned it into some housing um, and uh, then a, a few years later, we bought the adjacent profane space. Uh, it was an, an old National Bank of Canada. And uh, so uh, the, the, uh, the, um, the journey from uh, a place that is very aesthetically dedicated in service to God, uh, and, then, and then the journey from a profane space if you will yes 
becoming uh, becoming sacred. It, it really uh, is dependent upon the people and the spirit. That's that's what fills out the space, right? Totally. I, I really uh, one of the people that um, we he, he we've had him in Canada a little bit, and we'll, we'll have him here, I'm sure, in other ways. But what, he's he's one of my main mentors in the UK called Bishop Rick Thorpe. And I interviewed him for some uh, research I was doing at the Asbury Seminary. And, and he really got into this. He said, look, you know, what is, our, what is our deal with how long do we think it takes us to create a sacred space? Uh, and, and, and what's God doing in that space? So he would say, look, you know, you meet somebody on the side of the street and you realize they're struggling and you end up having a conversation and you realize it's a time to pray for them. And in your heart, you're declaring, Lord, this is a holy moment. I declare this is holy space. You are Lord over this space, this time, this person. And I declare in Jesus' name that this person be healed. And I ask you right now to come, Holy Spirit, and do your work. And you don't have to tell that person that holy space, that you're standing on holy ground, because they know it, right? As they sense the Spirit coming and bringing that healing, that has happened. Now, when you go back to that street corner, every time you go to that street corner, you will remember that God answered that prayer in that time. And by the way, so will that guy. And when he brings his kids there, he will go and say, it was on this ground that the Lord healed me from this or that, right? So what is it with this holy space that we think? Now, of course, you can say there's something obvious. You go into you know, a big old cathedral in Europe that's a thousand years old, and you can, you can sense centuries of prayer for sure, right? But we need a diversity, I believe, of those kind of spaces. And I think we need to have a higher belief in the power that God's placed in us to call down those holy moments and those holy places. And exactly as you're saying, Kevin, to walk into, you know, there's a, a quite famous church in Guelph that's built out of an old strip club, uh, you know, but it's not an old strip club. It's an active strip club. It's, it's there every week. It's still a strip club. Mon like It's Sunday morning. They come in and they, they clear through that space every single Sunday morning, right? And it's a thriving church. I just want to think, Kevin, down in Windsor, do you know, do you know Amanda Gelman? uh yeah then uh no uh tell me about yeah. amanda yeah. so she she is an amazing leader she used to work for the catholic archdiocese of detroit and she's worked with a number of arts communities there she's just one of these enterprising kind of just get stuff done persons and she runs a film school in windsor and they actually put in an offer on an old united church which is a homeless shelter which is now about to move to another location right, the downtown resting yeah so we were actually also bidding on that building for the Trinity Centers Foundation. We thought, we'll, we'll buy that. Come on. And uh, it was back at the time where we were trying to buy buildings. We're not really doing that anymore. We're more trying to facilitate other people. And actually, what we did with Amanda was a foretaste of that because we said, hey, Amanda, your offer is better than ours because you're there locally. But if you, how about we withdraw our offer and you go forward with your offer and then we won't bid up the price. But on the deal that we want to... Uh, partner with you in who goes there on a Sunday morning. We believe that there are church plants in Windsor who will want to be in that building on a Sunday morning. So your arts programming has to clear up by, you know, late Saturday night. We'll get the cleaners in there middle of the night on Saturday so the church can be in there on Sunday morning. And so we shook hands over that deal. And Amanda is still working away on that. We're trying to help her with some financing there. And I really believe she's going to continue with that building. And there to me is a really good, like she's running a very enterprising vibrant film school they will take over that building 
And what an amazing, I would much rather, we love the guys at Cineplex Odeon. They're, they're wonderful. No, no, nothing down about that at all. And there are many churches meeting in cinemas, which is great. But hey, I wouldn't like, I'd kind of like rather see a church plant renting a space like that, which is a purpose-built space of prayer where there's also a film school going. And that is the kind of stuff, when we talk about assemble, finance, operate, hey, we just did it. It's a different model, but we can be adaptable. And that's, so I want to introduce you to Amanda yeah, Gilman. I, I want that this. introduction. Yeah. And uh, even as you're talking, I'm going, da 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 I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, stacking yeah. it up, so. <laughs> yeah, Graham, yeah, and we, that's, that's yeah. one of your real gifts uh, as networker. You, uh, you're able to come into relationships and then actually as it were, mine those relationships just to see what God's already doing and then joining them with what God's already been placing in people's hearts. So I just, if there's any kind of quality that I appreciate about you, Graham, is your ability to do that. The insight the Lord's given you in some of these relationships, mm. uh, they're not just bridges you use to get to uh, an end task. You really are wanting to see what's God doing in this individual? How do yeah. they in? And, and where do they want to go next? Uh, you mentioned something very interesting. And yeah. I, I want to circle back on this idea of what we've learned from COVID. And yeah. the idea that COVID has, in all essence, moved the church to an online platform, moved them away from buildings. We've got hundreds right. of churches trying to figure out now, what do we do with all the space we have? Uh, people are now kind of, if I want to call it, they're living by church on demand. I'll watch church when I want to watch it in the style I want to watch it. And oh, by the way, I've just joined an e-group from down in Elevation Church in North Carolina, or I've just joined a, another church across the city. And someone has said to me recently, you know, when COVID lifts and the restrictions are lifted, we'll be surprised at where all the people are because they yeah. aren't necessarily coming back to the same church that they have been all along. So with all the emphasis on church buildings, and what COVID has taught us a little bit of like the church has gone on without the gathering in specific buildings. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about that. What, what, have, you, what have you learned um, on a simplified approach on revitalization of churches? And what does the return from COVID look like uh, for those that have been building centric? Well, Brian, I, I, would, I would point listeners right back to Mission Canada on this because you and Mission Canada have been at the forefront of those who've been not just talking about it, but deeply calling for a change from univocational ordained ministry and then to bivocational, where the two vocations of a church leader don't really help each other out, to true co-vocational, right? Where the two vocations or three vocations of a leader really mix with each other. I mean, the, the most obvious one is a the uber driving church planting pastor right who's leading this church of like 500 people and the guy's driving uber for two-thirds and he's making 90 percent of his revenue from driving uber but while he's driving uber he can take pastoral calls <laughs> with his church members and he's leading the church while he's driving uber and if he if he needs to not drive uber to go and deal with something in his church he can pull that job back so now they're very light on their feet it's costing a lot less money, which means you're more likely to have a church where you're reaching the poor because you're not only trying to reach the rich, you're paying your bills, paying your bills for your family, and they're paying uh, your bills for your big old building. So co-vocational ministry to me is like so fundamental and it's so obvious. And you look back at it and think, okay, Paul was a tent maker. Uh, 
but surely he wanted to become a full-time ordained minister with a pension, you know, at some point, right? The tent making was just during his church planting days. Well, that's just not true, right? This is the New Testament picture says that. And then you go back and think, boy, that was interesting. <clears throat> that 500 years thing, European Reformation coming to North America. How, you know what? How, here's a question. Does it help gospel ministry to have a building or does it hinder? Because that whole praying for the guy in the street corner, that was quite helpful. Um, the planting a church in the cinema, that was pretty, that, that's working. So did we get this wrong? Have we had this wrong for a long time? How many buildings did Jesus own? Right? Clearly zero. I mean, not only zero, but less than zero because he, he didn't even have an office. <laughs> no and, and no the HQ. Scripture, yeah, the scripture does say that the Son of Man had no place to he, lay his own head. The, so the guy's got no, no place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not even a house. He's like, he's <laughs> here's the thing. Um, I really believe we're going to see these buildings as false idols, and we're going to see full-time ministry as a false idol. And when both of those things come true, you know, we'll, we'll see people who say, you know what, I actually love teaching primary school, and I'm a good preacher. I, I've actually always loved doing both, but I thought if I wanted to be a real preacher, I needed to be the pastor of the church, which meant I needed to have a building. And, you know, I think there are many pastors of churches who are actually not good preachers. Uh, they're good at gathering people. They're good at casting vision, but maybe they're good preachers at casting vision, but they're not good teachers of the scripture. So to me, the fivefold gifts was Ephesians fivefold gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. We got it wrong. I, I didn't complete my point earlier, which is there are some problems between the early church and I am one of those church planters who often harkens back to the early church thing. They got it right in the early church. We screwed something up since then, right? From the time of Constantine to now, we've made some, there have been some problems in the church. Well, one of them is, I think, co-vocational ministry, unifunctional buildings. And the, the, if we get rid of them, I think we rediscover unity because when we're not trying to shore up our own buildings, or our own particular denominational understanding of doctrine, we are naturally much better at partnering with other churches, right? Because we're not trying to fight our own corner. And everything starts to work and you realize, you know what? The apex, let's, let me finish on that point. Uh, and, and let me just make sure I'm not losing anybody on this who's, who's tuning in here, okay? Think about the church leader that you love and know, whatever your church is, okay? Do you secretly expect them? Or if you are that leader, do you realize people secretly expect you, you personally leader, to be the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, and the teacher, right? All in one. You better be all five. Well, I think they, right? they either want Billy Graham or they want, you know, the apostle Paul and both are dead, right? Yeah, when, when I'm introduced as a pastor uh, or in, introduced to people and they say, and who are you? I say, I'm the church janitor. Yeah, that's awesome. I do a lot of cleanup. <laughs> I, and when the circus shows, when they have the circus cabaret style show, they have different characters that come up in the circus show. And then every once in a while, when I'm there, they'll usually say, oh, uh, you know, welcome to this is the reverend of the church. This is Graham. And then they make me stand up. And I think most people think it's a joke. They think there's no way that guy's the reverend of the church. This doesn't make sense. Is this just like a circus trick, you know, kind of thing? And I think then I sit back down and they don't know whether it was a joke or not, right? Um, but here's where I was going on this. Alan Hirsch, right, writer of The Forgotten Ways, 
which is the book that really best deals with this issue of the fivefold giftings being wrong. He would say, when we rediscover that missional DNA that says the fivefold gifts were not given to any one person, they were given to the church, meaning everybody is co-vocational in that church. I think that's what's happening with the church right now. I think COVID, I don't know about you guys, but I, I would love to just have, just sit down for a day in prayer and just say, Lord, tell me all the things, all the good things that have come from COVID-19. There's so many bad things. So many people have been hurt. People have died. People are, you know, the, our healthcare workers, it's unbelievable the pain that they're going through. But there also have been so many good things. And the waking up to a true reading of Ephesians uh, on that fivefold giftings, to me, is going to be such a key to the future of the church. Yeah, that's that's rich. Uh, I think we haven't seen yet what the impact will be from uh, from the from the detachment of the gathering moments within the body of Christ. Um, wow. Some people have actually pushed back too early for the gathering. And I think in some ways, the Lord has actually had a, us in a reevaluation stage to be able to say, okay, why are you gathering and what's the purpose of that gathering? And, and yes, it's central to the Christian community, Christian faith, but, but what happens outside of that gathering? How have you not been able to, um, uh, how have you been able to actually impact people around you with the key elements of your faith? that it's not just connected to a gathering on a particular day, right? Brian, back to Brian, what you talked about, that, you know, the guy who's joining the, the, the special group at Elevation Church, or he's, yeah. you know, he's attending the worship service at Holy Trinity, you know, like these, these are very high production quality environments that when you're online, you know, the sound works. There's no problem with the sound tech. Um, the message is amazing because <laughs> somebody's had a long time to perfect it and they got to video, you know, they got to edit the thing and maybe re refilm it if necessary. I really think that this is back to the pride of the church and the pride of the leader that thinks that he often and she sometimes need to be the producer of all this content. It's got to be our worship team, our teaching team, our, you know, I, I've never considered myself to be, I, I am not a great Bible teacher in a traditional line-by-line -line teaching, and I really appreciate listening to those who are. But if you need to get an old building turned into a church that's, you know, working on relational evangelism, I, I'm a pretty good guy, you know, I, I've been doing this for a little while. But I have no problem saying, actually, that's not my strength. And, and to sit down for three days and work on a sermon, I just can't do it. I, that same relational thing you talked about, Brian, I'm, my mind is connecting all the time. And instead of fighting against it and saying, you know, I embrace that's a gift that I bring to the church. So if we could be less prideful about what we individually need to offer and more, more realizing, look, uh, you know, you, you can't, if you want to listen to some deep Bible, you, you can't, there's nobody who can teach like Tim Keller in our generation. You listen to that guy teaching. It's a three for one sermon. If you try to emulate that, you will fail, you know. So why not bring the Tim Keller sermon into the body of a local church? And believe that people do prefer local engagements of discipleship. Right. But they want that high-quality content. So if we let go of our pride and bring that high-quality content into the local church and make our value more about that local body of Christ rather than content producer, right, uh, then I think we will 
I think there's another, and I think it's totally in line with the same things we've been talking about before. That, that's amazing. That's, and that to me is the beauty of what we've learned in COVID is that, um, you know, not, it, there's this tension between local and global, right? There's this tension between, uh, you know, and I think there has been a highlight of um, people have become consumers because I can go on, on demand, be a church member someplace or not. Um, but yet we've learned that there is some, some, some content and beauty in the fact that uh, the local church community still is that primary place of care, primary place of, right. of shepherding, right? So yeah, I, know we're, I know we're probably drawing to a close here, but I'll just say one other quick, quick example of this at St. Jack's is we're, we're now around 50 families, 50 devices on our Zoom on a Sunday morning. And we, we, we go out on YouTube and Facebook as well with a pre-recorded worship and pre-recorded teaching. And then we on, but on Zoom is our main environment where we have fellowship before and after. And then we have that pre-packed content that goes out. I mean, it's been produced earlier in the week kind of thing. And then it, it goes out on there. Anyways, during the fellowship time a few weeks ago, somehow the conversation became about the awesomeness of the universe. And everybody was like, look, we're so tired of talking about COVID. What can we, and we just started talking about the awesomeness of God, the size of the universe, the incredible winter night sky in Quebec, you know, like that was just this awesome conversation, right? And it was a beautiful Sunday morning and that was where it went. But it, was, it wasn't just about earth, it was about the universe, okay? So next thing, you know, is a few, my, my co-pastors and, and, and myself, Curtis and Marnie Matoga, we were chatting with each other on the Zoom saying, this, doesn't this remind you that Louis Giglio talk that he yeah. did in, indescribable and there's yeah. nobody who does and it's a little bit like 1990s 2000 i don't know when he produced it but you know it's it's an older style video but it is the best video i know of of somebody taking the psalms and a bunch of nasa photos and turning that into a worshipful environment so we went and got the license for the indescribable video and the next week we canceled what we were going to do and we put on the indescribable video and it was just it was amazing you know, like, I'd love to see more. Like, there, there are some people, let me just say this. There are people, there are people in the world who've never heard, because of their church tradition, they've never heard Pope Francis preaching. They've never heard Tim Keller preaching. Rick Warren. You know, they, they, these are voices, like, if, you, if you're a Christian and you've never heard Rick Warren teaching, I, I, I can almost go and say, you shouldn't, you know, don't call yourself a Christian until you've gone to Rick Warren <laughs> preaching, Okay. Don't, don't, because you should, you should know that that person is reaching more people in the name of our God than a lot of other people. So you should just, if you don't agree, I don't, I don't know how you could disagree with Rick Warren, but you know, just listen to him. So to me in the local church, aren't we as leaders responsible for making sure that the people in our local flocks have heard some of those and not to, not to aggrandize the big voices because they should also hear from each other. But what, wouldn't it be amazing, like, you know, some of these guys who you hear at an exponential conference, right, or, a, uh, you know, like some of these guys from Africa and India, and you're very good, Brian, with bringing these voices in. There are some people, there are Christians around who have never heard a spirit-filled, super smart, like ridiculously smart Indian pastor who's planted a thousand churches. They've, they don't even know that that guy exists, let alone have heard how he speaks with the humility and the wisdom and the... You know, I think in the body of Christ, we should be responsible for making sure that those global voices are heard at a local church level. Well, uh, you... <laughs> amen. I amen. guess we're kind of doing that, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs>
Amen. You know, um, we, uh, we, as you mentioned, we do uh, need to watch the clock a little bit here. And uh, so I just want to um, hone in on one, one last question for you, Graham. And uh, that would be a, a question about specifically the urban church in Canada. Uh, we have uh, maybe um, a dozen to 15 major urban centers across Canada, uh, and yet often in the core of the city uh, that where the population is the densest, uh, the church is the sparsest. Uh, there's uh, a lack of yes. uh, gospel presence. And, and I love what you said about praying for that guy on the street corner. And, uh, but, you know, as we think about what, what is the spirit saying to the church? And I go back to John the Revelator and the, the seven churches in Asia Minor. And Jesus had something to say specifically to different cities. And uh, I, I, it might be a bit of a, a large ask for a final question. Uh, but uh, as you look through a glass darkly, uh, are there some things that you think the spirit might be saying to any uh, of our Canadian cities? Uh, maybe starting with Montreal, but, uh, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Saskatoon, Regina, the list goes on, Winnipeg, Halifax. Um, is there a um, overarching thing that you sense the spirit is saying to the church in Canada mm. and is there also some very specific things that we may want to be listening to uh, related to specific cities and I, I, I'm asking you that question because I know that um, you're one of uh, you know a, uh, a, a small cadre of people in Canada that actually have that kind of exposure. Thanks for the question, Kevin. I, I, I'll, I'll give a most direct answer I can with a link, which I hope we can put on the um, link yep. to this material here. It's for the Canadian Urban Institute. It's it's freely available. And there was a conference uh, just this week. I, I led a seminar on it, but I, I, you could listen to this, that seminar, but I'm more interested that people would listen to the rest of the seminar about the future of Canadian cities and the future of downtowns from a non, what might look like an like a non-Christian Bar, uh, uh, um, set a, a non-Christian perspective, that's actually false. Many of Canada's brightest urban thinkers, urban planners, city managers, business improvement area directors are actually deep people of faith. And one of the things we could do actually is invite them to come and speak at our churches. Maybe it's not a Bible talk. Maybe it's an interview with the city manager saying, can you tell us what's happening in our city? What, what, what's going on? Just tell us, can you educate us? And are there things that you wish we would do? But, but even before we get to that, can you tell us what's happening? So reaching out to the capital U urbanists, okay, I think is very important. There's a theologian called Jack Elul, who is a, an urban planner and theologian, incredible vision of the city. And I'll, I'll, um, give, I'll give you that link to add on as well, some of Jack Elul's work for people who are church planters, church leaders who want to become serious urban thinkers. I, I, if I had more time, I would do a little conference on this, actually, just helping churches, just answering the question you're talking about. But I think as a starter, Canadian Urban Institute is one. Here are some of the themes specifically that I think you might hear in there. One of them, and they're all obvious, okay? 
One of them is mixity of housing and the mixity of a, of a neighborhood is incredibly important to people's quality of life. So they want to be able to rent an apartment for a reasonable cost and they want to go down the corner to the beard oil shop and get the cool beard oil that they really want to get and the funky haircut and they want the little charcuterie you know, butcher and they, they want those small retailers, yet they're not always supporting them. So we got to talk about that. And why are they not supporting them? Because they're really expensive. Why are they so expensive? Because commercial rents are too high, right? There's, there's some shops in Canada, like a small shop is costing that person $10,000 a month. Imagine if you're running a business, you got 10,000 a month just to pay rent. You're running a church. Any church planter can think of 10,000 a month for your location. There, there are only a handful of churches in Canada that are paying that amount for rental venues, right? I can tell you which churches they are. <laughs> but, that, but that's a typical small business, is paying that kind of rent. So you actually have an unsustainable commercial rent issue, and you have a problem of urban mixity and what people want if they're thinking about that kind of cool, trendy downtown area. If they, the, the kind of picture they have in mind now, you go to that place, prices have gone through the roof. So we have some economic problems and I think if the church were to understand those better, um, we would be in a good place to do that. The other is something I've, I've said before. I'm going to keep saying it. In fact, I don't, I don't have that many blog posts. I have way more podcasts than things I do with other people. Um, I've written a lot of things in news media. All that stuff's up on the trinitycenters.org press section. Um, but I have two, two blog posts that that just keep getting recycled. And one of them is about, hey, I'm a church planter and I'm looking at this empty church in my downtown. You know, I've driven to my empty downtown and I've asked that question. It looks pretty sparse here. You know, the gospel presence in my downtown and my city is looking pretty thin. What am I going to do about it? And my number one bit of advice is call the leaders of that local Presbyterian, Anglican, United Catholic Church and have a coffee with them. And don't tell them all the things that you want to do. Just listen to them and find out who they are. And the number of other church ministers who just don't have the time because they're so busy within their own denominations and their own church and their own, like just making those friendships now, there's never been a time because I don't know if you're, if this is the point you're making, but whereas we might struggle to see missional presence in the center of our cities, we absolutely do not struggle to see properties that are owned in Jesus' name. The properties are there. They're just empty. So look, I mean, I can't say it any other way. You should probably come and join our Trinity Center. If you're somebody who's thinking in this way, join our Trinity Center's newsletter. Stay tuned with us. You know, we are trying to put out and kind of come up with a solution on this. Uh, but my biggest answer is let's get that property back. Uh, let's fill it up with the kinds of missions. Let me say one. I know we really are over time here, but just think about this. This is a great story. And for anybody who you said city center, and they're thinking, I'm not in a city, I'm in a town, I'm in a village. We haven't forgotten you. And the future of Canada's towns and villages, with the way internet access is going, and the COVID has sent people out of cities, and that same price problem, I, towns and villages are going to be an incredible future for us, I think, in Canada. And we have one church where the municipality bought a Catholic church for a dollar. We helped that municipality uh, deal with the state-funded nurseries, the, the publicly funded uh, daycare program. And we started trying to find a way to get that daycare into the church. In the end, the daycare said, we don't want to go there, but the municipality has ended up selling them their city hall, which was built out of an old school. And the city hall is now going to move to the church. 
and they're going to build offices behind there. So the town hall will become the old church will now be used as the town hall and a meeting center. Now, who's ready to plant a church in the new town hall built out of the old parish church that's currently run by the municipality? Church planters, that's the place to look. That's the place you should be getting ready to plant into those kind of environments because God is opening those doors. This has been so fascinating talking with you, Graham. And uh, I think Brian and I would both agree that uh, we need many more conversations with you. And uh, so thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with us today. And uh, as you've been speaking, uh, our hearts and our heads are, are getting full. And we better end here or we're going to burst. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for the privilege of being with you today, uh, brothers. Hey, this is Kevin with a reminder uh, that on our website, Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, you can find show notes for all of our episodes as well as listen to the episodes there if you do not have a podcast platform that you listen in. Uh, all of the things that uh, uh, were referred to today, you'll find uh, there in terms of links to uh, help get a hold of Graham and find out more about the work that he's involved in. On our next episode, I'm going to be talking to uh, three uh, Aboriginal pastors uh, from across Canada, Dan Collado, Jim Thunder, and Levi Sampson Beardy. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, what it means to be Indigenous in Canada. and. Uh, in many ways, uh, they are the exiles within our nation. And uh, so we want, want you to come and come back and check that out, would you? And uh, hey, uh, be sure to um, look us up, add us as a friend on, in our Facebook group. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Uh, we're on all the platforms, so um, Share it with your friends, add a like, add a comment, and uh, maybe even just call us sometime or send us a message and tell us about some of the guests that you'd like to see and some of the things that you'd like to see us explore on the podcast. Appreciate y'all, and until next time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and this is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.